everyone, and welcome to The Build Podcast. I'm Devin McDonald, and I'm a partner here at OpenView. OpenView is a venture capital firm, and we invest in expansion stage software companies. If you've listened to our last few episodes, you'll know that our first season of Build revolves around the first 100 days. Each week, we'll be interviewing different leaders from top software companies about the first 100 days pertaining to some major change or pivot within their organization. Today, we have Andy Raskin. Andy works directly with CEOs and their leadership teams in developing a true strategic story. And these stories help to power success in sales, marketing, fundraising, product, and recruiting for a business. He's led projects with Salesforce, Square, Uber, Yelp, VMware, and also a number of OpenView's portfolio companies. Today, we're going to be focusing on Andy's process and the best practices in the months leading up to and following a major rollout. Hello, Andy. Can you give us some information on on your background and, and how you got into this? So I started out as a software developer. I was a computer science major in college, stayed away from anything having to do with story <laughs> as much as I possibly could. And I was a few years later, I was working as a management consultant and a friend and I had an idea for an app. This was like dot-com years, so we're talking Windows app and of the two of us, I spoke English fluently, so we decided I should write the business plan. And so uh, I wrote it, and we sent it to some VCs, and the reaction was really bad. And one of them wrote back, Andy, I rate every business plan I get on a scale of 1 to 10, and yours is a 1. And no. then he wrote, in, in parentheses after that, he wrote uh, worst, in case we thought oh, maybe God. 1 was the top of his scale. So, No. <laughs> and then he wrote this this other thing that I, I really almost didn't pay attention to at first. It was not a compelling story. I was sort of too crushed by the one to to really worry about that. But it's like a few weeks later, I was walking by this Barnes and Noble in New York where I lived, and there's this sign in the window, and it says, "For anyone who wants to tell a compelling story." Okay, that's me. There's an arrow pointing to this stack of books, and it's screenwriting books. And I knew nothing about this, and okay, we have nothing to lose. We buy the books and read them cover to cover. And okay, what if we could rewrite our pitch kind of according to what they're saying? And we tried, you know, I'm sure we didn't do a great job, but we tried it. And and long story short, everything changes. We start getting invited to pitch. Pitches go better. And we have a term sheet with some pretty good VCs in Menlo Park about three or four months later. And this always just really fascinated me. Like, what, what is this? What is going on here? What is this story thing that I never really learned about in, in business school or uh, any, anywhere else? And over the years, I'll skip a few steps. Uh, we know each other from, from one of my work at Mashery. After Mashery, Oren Michaels, the CEO, was pivotal in introducing me to a founder named Justin Yoshimura at a company called 500 Friends. And they were just starting kind of on the cusp of growth and starting to have some success and really struggling with the story they were telling. And, and Oren thought I could help. So I talked to Justin and we I became their interim VP marketing. And we worked on specifically this piece. And about nine months later, that company was acquired. And Justin sent a note out to Y Combinator founders list, because that was a Y Combinator company, uh, about the work we did together, describing this work about getting the strategic story straight and, and, and the impact it had. And that led to a bunch of other founders contacting me. And that, that was at the genesis of the practice that I started about three or four years ago. Got it. So word of mouth, everyone started hearing about the great work you were doing and 
wanted to get you involved. And, and I think also that there was something was changing in in the world, which is that the pace of innovation was getting so fast with, you know, cloud now, you know, people being able to just sort of spin up products and companies uh, at Amazon. The traditional approach to, to telling the story, you know, hey, we're, we're better because of X, Y, and Z, you know, the, the kind of positioning statement approach was failing them. And they were, they were seeing like, well, how are we going to stand out in this new world where there's so much competition? There's so, you know, if our product is better today, it, it might not be tomorrow because they're going to c- copy what we've done so instantly. How do we win this, this storytelling contest that our market has become? So which companies have you worked with over the last few years, just to give our audience a taste of the breadth of your work? Well, most of the companies I work with, are they tend to be in the, what I would call mid, mid to later stage venture period. So late A to early C, they tend to be backed by companies like Andreessen Horowitz, uh, Kleiner Perkins, a few open view portfolio companies. So uh, Logical, which just recently raised, uh, I think, a 25 million round uh, from NEA, and I think uh, OpenView participated. And also uh, Avic, I, I believe that you guys led a, a round recently for them as well. Yeah, just last year we did. And you've done some some great work. What typically pushes a company to rethink its strategic story? I know you mentioned that you know they get to a point where it's a little bit too much telling a story of how they're different from competitors, maybe too a little a little bit too feature oriented. They're losing out on business. But what what do you think really kind of gets them to the point where they say we need to bring Andy here? It's just not working. Well, I always ask, you know, what, why did you call me? <laughs> What's happening? And I hear a very consistent story, which is there's been success. There's been some some signs of success, but in some ways, it's it's been what one founder told me was like brute force of the founding team, where maybe the founding CEO or the the early executives are in like every sales call. They can spend a lot of time kind of figuring out what a customer might need in some cases, you know, hours or or days or weeks to create an, an early relationship. And they're kind of on the cusp of growth and they start to see that, hey, wow, we're going to be hiring uh, all these salespeople, investing a lot in marketing, building out product. We need, we have to be able to tell a consistent story across all of that. They basically start realizing that their growth is dependent on having a simple, really powerful story. So leading up to you know, a major change in this strategic story, you know, the, the premise of this podcast is the first 100 days. I think for this particular session, it would be interesting to talk about the, the roughly 50 days leading up to the launch of a new strategic story. And I'm sure there's different channels by which you can tell that story. And then 50 days after, what goes into it? What, what do you expect? And can you just talk us through that process? Yeah, sure. So I always ask the CEO to create inside the company like a kind of story team. Usually that's around four or five people led by the CEO. And together, we're going to build the pieces of this story. One of the first things that I always have to do is kind of switch the metaphor. So what I mean by that is, I think, like I said, a lot of folks, when they think about what's the company's story, it boils down to some version of, here's why we're so great. We need to shift it to what is happening in the customer's world that is creating stakes, meaning opportunity and risk. Why do they have to act? And making that shift requires some 
some initial training. So I always start with that. And then once we get there, then it's really about, well, what is this customer story? What is the big change in the world that has changed the rules of the game such that there's going to be new winners and losers, new strategies for winning in the customer's world so that the status quo is no longer tenable? We're essentially attacking the existing narrative that's out there in the world in the customer's mind. We're then over usually a period of a few months by talking to customers, gathering input from the team, getting to the point where we feel we have a good handle on it. One of the things that I I learned being on the receiving end of kind of like messaging and positioning work in the past was that often it was delivered as a kind of like some kind of like messaging pyramid or positioning statement. And I always found it very difficult to to go from those things to the things I really needed to build, like sales deck, website, content. And so early on, I started using the sales narrative, basically the sales deck, as the kind of messaging architecture. So if we can build the sales deck, because it kind of has all the pieces of the story, if we can build it as that customer story, then we have everything that we need to tell it. Usually we get to the point where we feel pretty good about it. And then we actually take it out on real calls, real sales calls. Maybe the CEO or other execs will present it at conferences or where there might be groups of prospects. And we learn how it's playing and we learn where are we seeing the engagement that we want to see. Once that's done, then we start rolling it out in other ways, not just sales, but website and the story that everyone starts telling everywhere. And is it typically trickled out, would you say? Or is it kind of like one sort of big bang, okay, here's the new <laughs> us? What's the what's best practice? Yeah, I think it's somewhere in between. I, I think, you know, to just sort of like, hey, here's the new us. I think people wind up being a little bit skeptical of that usually. And for good reason. What I've found has worked really well is where we gradually bring it out to more and more folks. So we start with this sort of inner team that's built it. But then, you know, we take it out on calls and that usually involves some salespeople. And so we're getting the salespeople then to weigh in and, and give their experience. So they're now, they're now t- you know, having ownership of it and having some input in it. And then you know, as we're gradually building it, bringing it out to other folks, it's not just, hey, like here's some you know, new words and, and images that, are, that we did in a back room. Um, here's what actually happened when we took it out to these prospects. Here's, here's how they engaged. Here's how it's, here's how it's creating results. For the companies that you've worked with, and you've worked with a lot of them at this point, are you seeing consistencies in some things that companies are doing wrong in the process of rethinking its strategic story? Are there common trends that you know where people are making missteps? Well, first of all, I just the idea of in most of the cases, I'd say the strategic story isn't actually even defined in most cases, and and in some ways, it's it's kind of natural and crossing the chasm, Jeffrey Moore, I think, you know, brilliantly pointed out that there's this kind of dip where after this early adoption happens, there's this kind of fall off and trough that you have to navigate. And I think that trough is really the place where the company has an opportunity to really create the strategic narrative for the first time. I mean, Scott Maxwell at OpenView likes to talk about this phenomenon where you start early and you build up customer knowledge. And then in this dip, you you sort of create like almost like false customer knowledge, like you have you seen that one that he he presents? Yeah. yeah, and I think that's what's partly going on here too. Is where we have all these sort of early ideas about what why why it might be selling and what the story might be, but we've never sort of really coalesced it all into something real simple. And so that's usually what's happening here. I'd say the pitfalls 
kind of fall into two areas. One is approach and the other is kind of actual tactics when it's happening. So I, I think the biggest, the biggest misstep here can be thinking that this is a marketing task, that there's a great quote from Ben Horowitz at Andreessen Horowitz. The mistake that a lot of people make is thinking that the story is marketing. No, the story is strategy. I think that's incredibly profound if you dig into it. There are just so many things that the story is going to come to align as the North Star. What product features should we be building? How should we be talking in sales? How should we be talking in marketing as well, of course? And marketing, you know, creating that story alone, first of all, obviously, they, they don't necessarily get the, the buy-in from all the other groups that they need. And I think there are things that they may, you know, big decisions sometimes that have to be made like, hey, if we're going to tell this story, maybe we need to build out some functionality. And marketing themselves can't say that, but the CEO can say, hey, we want to tell this story. You know, what, what will it take to make it <laughs> make it come true? It really, in my opinion, has to be led by the CEO and, and owned by the CEO. Although, of course, marketing has a huge role to play and, and will be a huge role, a uh, huge player in, in, in telling the story as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying basically that all too often, this can become sort of like marketing's, you know, pet project. But in order for it to really sort of be successful and shift the company on a, you know, and put it on a different trajectory, it has to be owned by the person at the top, and all teams have to be involved. Yeah, when, when I first thought, when I first began working in tech, I, I always thought of the story as kind of like it's like the product is the main thing like the main thing that we're building. And the story is kind of like a wrapping paper around it, like to make it look pretty, mm -hmm. to make it sell on the shelf. And from learning from folks like Ben Horowitz and, and others, I've come to believe now that really the story is the main thing we're building. And the product is a kind of you know prop for making it come true. Of course, very important prop, but it should be guided by the story ultimately. So when you when you say that you're in the process of helping a company find its strategic story, you're talking to customers, what questions are you asking customers in that process to get to the root of the, I don't know if you'd call it pain, but you know where they're at and why they would want to be interested in, in, in buying this type of software? So usually the teams I'm working with are, you know, they, they like I said, they have some success. And so they've you know, they've had some experience with this company's product. And one of the first questions I ask, I only ask one question about the company itself and the company's products. I say, how have they changed your life? And I listen for what they say. And then once they tell me that, I say, well, what has changed in the world such that that is more valuable now to you than it would have been even just a few years ago? And then they start telling me about the shifts they see in the world you know, the, the things that are happening to them that create opportunity and risk. And this is what it's really all about. I mean, I love to go to the example, I often use Star Wars when I'm teaching or, or working with teams to illustrate some of the, the principles of, of narrative. And there's this great moment in Star Wars where Luke, at the beginning, I'm talking about the first one, you know, the, the New Hope, where he's been... Uh, belly aching like for 10 minutes about how he wants to get off the planet, be a pilot, have adventures. And then Obi-Wan comes to him and says, hey, let's get off the planet. I'll teach you to be a pilot. Uh, you can have adventures. I'll teach you about the force, everything. And what does Luke say? He says, ooh, you know what? It's, it's getting kind of late. I, I have to go home. And who does this sound like? 
when I talk to a bunch of sales salespeople, they immediately say, that sounds like the prospects I talk to. You know, I want to be super innovative. I want to do great things. Ooh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have budget this quarter for that. And, you know, what's happening there, I think, is those are people who don't see stakes. They see that, hey, my life is going to kind of, you know, I, I'm okay. I'm not, you know, I'm in the scheme of things. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm not in pain. You know, we talk a lot about selling to pain. I think most people, they're not in pain. They're just sort of okay. And and I think it's always going to be like that. And we have to knock them out of that. You know, Luke gets knocked out of that by the Empire bombs his, his family's house and, and his aunt and uncle are, are killed. And he realized this that, you know, he's now very much in danger, probably going to die. But now there's uh, Obi-Wan raises this other hope that, hey, maybe he can thrive and, and prevail. You know, if you look at companies that I've written about, like Zwara, Drift, they're, they're telling almost the same kind of life and death story. How difficult is it to, to get the sales team, your frontline, the people that are talking to prospects, customers to pivot with how they're telling the story? Sometimes it's a little bit hard at first because there are a lot of uh, deeply held views about what a sales pitch should look like, how it should be structured. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff like it should start with, you know, who we are because we have to establish some kind of uh, cred where investors are, all this kind of stuff. But it's, it winds up being me, 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 right? But, but always through the process, once we start actually pitching to prospects this new kind of story, they always love it and and become sold on, on doing it that way. What I think is sometimes a pushback is, hey, th- there's this uh, like, hey, they just want to know what it does. <laughs> you know, we, they, they don't want us to waste their time telling us telling a story. They, they already know what's changing in their world. What, why do we have to tell them? And I think this is coming at an, at an idea, uh, at it from the idea that the story is about education that we're, we're educating them about what's happening in their world. And that's not what the story is. The story is actually telling them that we understand what's happening in their world. What we're usually looking for... More empathy, would you say? Exactly. And, and a lot of this comes from... There's a great negotiation book called uh, Never Split the Difference by uh, Chris Voss, the former ho- FBI hostage negotiator. Almost all of his work and, and techniques and his success in negotiating these very, very high-profile hostage situations comes down to, can you say the hostage taker's story back to them to the point where they'll say, yeah, that's right. So, okay, America's evil in these ways, and your cause is being disrespected in these ways. They might say, oh, you forgot this way. <laughs> so, okay, can we we'll say it back to them again? including that other way, if, they, if they'll say, yeah, that's right, essentially, yeah, you got, you got what I'm saying, that's when you know, the crazy demands for like you know, $100 million or I'm killing all the people go away and, and, and a reasonable conclusion can be negotiated. I think a very similar thing is happening when we tell the story this way. We're always looking, when we do start bringing out the deck, we're always looking for that's rights whether it's nods of the head, whether it's very often literally we'll get it, that's right. Um, sometimes they'll just open up about, yes, how this change that we're talking about is playing out in their life and what it means you know, for them or their company. That's gold if you're a salesperson because you know, they're, they're really telling you what, what's happening and being vulnerable to you. So let, that's actually a good jump off point there. I would love to talk about post-implementation, post-project, the 50 days after you would say the, the work that you've done with this team is, 
is complete or at least close to complete. What sorts of things do you start to see changing within the business and what feedback have you received? We start to see the story being told not only by sales, not only by marketing, but by everybody. There's a team I worked with called Flux. They came out of Google X. And I got a really interesting email from the head of product. He said, you know, when when we first started this, I thought this was just about, you know, marketing. And he said, now that we've gotten really clear on the story, uh, this th- there are pieces of the story now that that are essentially the, the North Star for my product roadmap and that it, it really guides now all of the decisions that I make about prioritizing which features we're going to build because it really becomes about, you know, well, this is the story we want to make come true for the customer, then, you know, th- these are the things we have to prioritize. We start seeing it not only in the company and product, but even fundraising. So I asked Andy Wilson, the CEO of Logical, what he's seen happen in the months since we finished the strategic story there. And he said there were three things. One was that his sales teams have gotten better because it's no longer about them or the product. Uh, It's about the change in the world for the customers and and how that will create winners and losers in the customer's world. I'm actually reading from an email that he sent me. He said the second one is uh, that the investor pitches get better. So similar to number one, he said our recent $25 million raise from NEA was partially due to having a great company story, great strategic story. And then the third one, he said, is that the company morale gets better. He said recruiting gets a tad easier. Recruiting is always hard, but uh, this idea that you know the story is going to, if we're consistently telling the same simple, clear uh, story with uh, emotion and stakes for the customers, that's going to get everybody on board and make it make it easier to uh, to even sell the company to new hires as well. For the story for the investors. Is that, ju- is that a different variation of the story for the customers or is that you sort of showing the investors that simple, it's so important value for, you know, the individuals they're selling to or the organizations they're selling to? Well, certainly, you know, th- there has to be more in an investor pitch than what, what might be in a, in, a, in a sales deck, for instance, you know. There's basically how, how is this going to pay off as a business for, for the investors, uh, which a, a prospect is not you know interested in. But you know what's the first question that investors have? And I think the first question, you know, the first question of due diligence, who's the first person they talk to in due diligence? It's usually the customers. And what do they want to know? They want to know, well, why did you buy this thing? They want to know why people are going to need this. And that really then is that same story that we're telling in in sales if we're if we're doing it this way which is you know what has happened in the customer's world such that the stakes are so high that they're going to need help getting you know getting to some some new promised land and uh and and this solution is going to uh to help them do that you know, this wouldn't be any of the companies that you've worked with Andy of course because they've all been wildly successful post your your engagement have you seen a company try to enhance its strategic story or its messaging and really just kind of not do it correctly? <laughs> Can you think of any examples of, of where a, a company really just, they hit a wall when they tried to take on this initiative themselves? I can't think, it's hard for me to know uh, if I'm not involved with a company, kind of how, what the project was and how the results went and, you know, if they got what they wanted. Um, but I can I can say that there couple of mistakes, you know, a couple of sort of pitfalls that I, I, I will often see. One 
is where the story comes out to be, there, there's this element of the story that I call the promised land. And the promised land is, is a kind of articulation of the future that we are committed to making real for the customer. So an example, Airbnb for a while had this, they had this thing that said, belong anywhere. Yeah, anywhere you go, you'll belong. That's a, fut- a, new, a new future that they're committed to make real. Uber's has changed over the years, but uh, lately it's, it's been, last year or so, it's been, your day belongs to you. There's a, there's a pizza place near my house where, so I grew up in Brooklyn, in New York. And, you know, if you live in San Francisco long enough, you sort of give up on ever finding pizza that, you know, reminds you of home. Uh, but mm-hmm. there is this place that's actually pretty good. And, and, I, and I went there and it, like a fourth or fifth time, I noticed I, on, on top of the menu board, it says, believe in pizza again. And it's a, it's a high level, but it's, it's, it's uh, articulating a kind of change in my life that they're committing to make real and, and are delivering on in their case. But what I'll often see is something masquerading as a promised land. So, for instance, like transforming healthcare or changing the way you ship, where we're saying we're going to change it, but we're not really committing to how in any way. There's a lot of variations on this, like uh, next generation payments, disrupting delivery, whatever it is. They're not really taking a stand. And that really doesn't create the kind of strategic North Star that I think is is going to be effective. So just a bit too bland, a bit too generic to really make Well, they're not they're saying that there's they're gonna create a change, but they're not saying anything about that change, about the new the new state. So you know, belong anywhere, that's kind of a little bit vague, but it is saying something about the change in your life from, hey, now you go somewhere you don't belong to, hey, you will belong. But transforming healthcare, well, how are we going to transform health? How, the how is not addressed at all. You just see this a lot where there's no real commitment in the story to what the, that future is going to be. I call it sometimes punting on the promised land. And these are all variations on that. So, Andy, obviously, if people are interested in reevaluating their strategic story and trying to refine it, they can always go to you. And we're obviously going to provide your contact information. But if they want to do something like this on their own, A, would you suggest doing it on your own? Does it, is it more useful to have a third party that's in there kind of helping navigate? And if you are going to do it on your own, what advice would you give that, that sort of leadership team or that CEO? I'm sure there are teams that have done it on their own successfully. I've heard that the piece that I wrote that uh, OpenView republished called The Greatest Sales Deck I've Ever Seen uh, about Zora's strategic story has been really helpful for a lot of teams. So check that one out. I do hear from a lot of the teams I worked with that it, it has been helpful to have someone outside leading them in this process because usually there are a bunch of sort of different ideas about what the story should be. One of the hardest parts of, maybe the hardest part of doing this successfully is deciding what to leave out. There's so much that we want to say. And if we add too much, then the whole thing sort of like falls apart and becomes meaningless. But that leaving stuff out can be hugely emotional for people who are are wedded to pieces of the story. And so having someone outside, uh, I've heard, can be helpful for that reason. And of course, just to guide someone through the, guide the team through the process. But if teams do it themselves, I think the CEO really needs to lead it and own it 
I think that the customer input, so asking the customers those kinds of questions that I was talking about before, what is changing in your life that makes all of this more valuable? What does winning look like for you? I used to almost make it like optional in my uh, work. And I quickly changed that because all the ones where we did it, it, the results were so much better. And so having that customer input is, I think, very crucial. You know, often there are like a couple of directions that the team wants to go and the customer input will make it very clear which is the right one. In some cases, actually many cases, the customers will put things in a way we just never thought to put it. And well, I'll give you an example. There's a, a company called Wootrick. They do uh, NPS surveys. Mm-hmm. They make it very easy to put it, put them in, in your app and, and have the, have the question asked in all kinds of places. And we were thinking, what's the promise line message for Wootrick? And we kept coming up with things like, you know, retain your customers and things like that. It just, just didn't feel right. And so we look, we we're about to talk to a customer and I looked at his LinkedIn page and, and this was a director of customer success for one of their clients. And his LinkedIn page said, my mission is to win customers for life. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you go to woodtrick.com, you'll see that that's the, that's the, what it says at the top of their webpage. It's sort of the the, the rallying cry. This is the future we're going to commit to make real for you. Are we going to win every? Are you going to win every customer for life? Probably not. But it's a kind of aspirational. One CEO said that the promised land should be asymptotically achievable. You know, kind of aspirational goal that drives that that customers find desirable but difficult to reach without help. It's pretty funny. I, I wonder if that uh, that guy ever realized that his LinkedIn page had uh, forever influenced <laughs> the, the path of a company. It's, Pretty impressive. So this has been a, a great conversation and uh, super helpful. When you were growing up, Andy, you know, I'm not sure what you aspired to be. I'm not so sure it was you saw yourself as a storyteller or a storyteller or someone that's helping enable storytelling. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, like I said, I was all math and science when I grew. I, I was, you know, I was coding when I was in high school, and I, I just really thought. I was going to be an engineer. Thinking back on it, also though, my my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My my dad was too, and, and I, I just remember around the family, like you know, big family dinners, like when you know there'd be like sort of light conversation, but then th- then there would be like the stories of what was happening in the company, <laughs> and those would those there was there was it would, somehow it was transmitted to me that like that's that's really important. <laughs> like there, there's a that's where that's where a lot of life is happening. <laughs> And so I think some energy uh, like from those conversations kind of got into me early and, uh, and it keeps drawing me back to wanting to be involved with folks as they're crafting the story for the companies that they're building, the ventures that they're starting. So we're, we're a few podcasts into this series, Andy, and we've had some great conversations so far, including this one. Would love to get some ideas from you around who we should feature next. We've had some of our past uh, participants talk about, you know, I'd love to hear about Slack and the 100 days leading up to Slack going viral or Netflix around the time where they sort of pivoted from that, you know, physical mail you a disk to, okay, now it's going to be all on your TV and accessible through the internet. Well, who would you like to hear about? Some 100 day period, some pivotal period for a company. Anyone come to mind? One person that I would I always love to hear is the 
the author that I mentioned of uh, Never Split the Difference, Chris mm-hmm. Voss, his approach to negotiation, I think, applies to so many different things. You know, negotiation makes it sound like we're just talking about deal making, but I think what he talks about applies to almost every aspect of sales and uh, and even all interpersonal relations within companies, within your family, everything. I, I, and, and he does trainings as well. And it might be interesting to hear how organizations change as he instills uh, mm-hmm. his, his training with them. I love that. We'll have to reach out. Uh, that's a great idea. Andy, thank you so much for your time today. This has been really interesting and have loved hear, hearing about how you're working with companies to help them shape their strategic story. Oh, thanks. It was uh, great to talk to you, Devin. And thank you so much to our audience for tuning in. If you want to learn more about Andy and how he works with CEOs and companies, you can go to andyraskin.com. Please make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. And we would love for you to give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture and subscribe to our newsletter that is sent to about 100,000 SaaS operators every single Saturday morning. You can sign up for that on openviewpartners.com backslash newsletter. Thank you so much and talk to you next week.